Hello, I'm Frank Turner. Welcome to Tales from No Man's Land, a podcast that accompanies my album, No Man's Land. It's about 13 women from history who you probably haven't heard of, but definitely should have. Their stories are fascinating, moving, funny, and most importantly, worth celebrating and sharing. I've heard that they call me the woman who's fallen into many sins. They made me bad to the burial, and at the graveside I began to sing. Welcome back to Tales from No Man's Land with me, Frank Turner. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, I would encourage you to head back to the beginning and check out the other episodes we've put out. We've had stories about Sister Rosetta Tharp, Dora Hand, Matahari and others, and they're all worth a listen. Today's episode is about a woman behind the song that I wrote called The Hymn of Cassiani. Cassiani was a nun from the Byzantine era, uh, which is a somewhat overlooked period in European history. Byzantium was a continuation of the eastern half of the Roman Empire after the fall of Rome, uh, and the capital city was Constantinople, which these days is known as Istanbul. The remarkable thing about Cassiani is that she is actually one of the very few women from that era to be written about or remembered at all. She's mainly known as a holy woman, but she was also a poet, a composer, and a hymnographer, whose work is still used in the Greek Orthodox Church today. She's often described as a very early feminist icon, and she was also very quick-witted, which is what drew me to her story initially. She wrote a lot of gnomic verses, which we still have, and we'll hear more about them in the podcast. She's most famously known for rejecting the advances of the Emperor Theophilus in a bride show. I could attempt to give you a history lesson on Byzantium myself, but instead I've recruited the help of self-professed Byzantinist and professor Liz James from the University of Sussex. Hi, Liz. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks, Frank. Excellent. Why don't you tell us about who you are and what you do? I'm a Byzantinist, which is one of those words that you don't come across every day of the week, which means that I specialise in the study of the Byzantine Empire. I'm an art historian, so what interests me particularly are the works of art that are produced by the Byzantines. I'm also interested in the relationships between women, men and the third sex eunuchs in Byzantium, so ideas about gender and women's place in Byzantium. Which is serendipitous, given what we're talking about here today. (laughs) Very fortunate. Yeah, so one of the things I think about the Byzantine Empire, um, and I I have a few thoughts about the Byzantine Empire, is that it's it's an oddly kind of lost bit of human history in terms of most popular culture. Let's assume ignorance on the part of our audience. Define Byzantium for us and the Byzantine Empire. Blimey, you're not asking for much there, are you? (laughs) In 20 seconds. In 20 seconds, okay. It is long ago and very far away. So Byzantium is the bit of the Roman Empire that keeps on going after the rest of the Roman Empire comes to an end, which is round about the 4th century AD. Um, And its centre is Constantinople, modern Istanbul. So it's that east end of the Mediterranean world. And it's a Greek-speaking empire. Founded by Emperor Constantine? Yep. In 330 AD? (laughs) 330 AD is when he turns Constantinople into his capital city rather than Rome. So they move out of Rome and they move to Constantinople. But these are people who definitely, they consider themselves Romans. I think they refer to themselves as Romans. All the way through, right up until the end of the empire. So the empire itself ends 1453 when Constantinople is sacked by the Turks. And it's it's a hugely important, it's a world power. It's much richer than Western Europe at this during the Dark Ages. It's much more civilised than Western Europe during the Dark Ages. 
languages right. as well. They're Greek speaking. They still read the classics. They're still commenting on the classics. They're still writing literature that sure. they think of as classical literature. Right. So there's this whole thing that we, you know, the the narrative of Western European history is very much, you know, you have the Roman Empire, then everyone forgets everything, and then you have the Renaissance, and in in the middle there's Byzantium sort of going, hello, yeah, we're still here. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah, still yeah. here. So uh, within the context of this uh, Greek speaking, uh, very uh, high culture, uh, Eastern Mediterranean, there is a character who I stumbled across called Cassiani or Cassia. Do we know which of these names is, is better to use? I think we can use both of them interchangeably. Okay. Right. Do you want me to quote Wikipedia? Yeah, go on. Why not? <laughs> okay. Wikipedia, that found of all information, suggests that Cassiani is what you use in a religious context when you're talking about her as a nun and Cassia otherwise. Okay. Well, I feel I feel like there's a fair amount of religious context around this yeah. song. And I've, I've used the full title of her work for my work, which brings us to the fact that Cassiani, she was a, a noble, a, a princess, or a, how would we describe her socially prior to the event that we're about to talk about? We don't know. Oh, really? Really, there is nothing that tells us what what she was or who she was or who her family were. We guess she must have been noble and from an influential family because of how she comes to our attention. Right, which is at the Bride bride Show. show. Yes. Yes. Okay, so let's talk through what on earth a Bride Show is. Yeah, well, so a Bride Show is a great institution in this period in Byzantium. Suddenly in the histories, they start telling a story about how emperors choose their wives or how wives are chosen for sons by their mothers and that's through the bride show so you bring in all of these eligible young women and presumably then, from noble families presumably I mean, yeah. from noble families yeah because you're not going to bother with the riffraff sure um and then <laughs> the the husband to be takes his pick so it's almost like a game show a little bit like a game yeah. show, but it's also the, the Cassia one, the Cassiani one particularly, the guy who's doing it, the, the choosing Theophilos, is given a golden apple to give to the fairest. Wow, okay. That, so of course, Like in the story of the... Of Trojan the, War. The Trojan War, yes, yeah. right, in Homer. So, and, and, and his mother's involved as well, yeah. I think. Um, yeah, she did seems he, to be. He, did he have quite an overbearing mother, am I right in saying? Or? Well, again, we don't know. We sort of guess that from, you know, you you have the bride show story and you sort of interpret, okay, if that's happening like that, then does that mean she's this sort of mother? Or is this just, you know, everybody has a bride show, so she's just fitting in with what should happen. (laughs) But so, and, and what date are we at here, roughly? She's 9th century. 9th century. So uh, Western Europe, very much in the middle of the Dark Ages, lots of sort of yeah. Goths and Visigoths. We're, 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 what, 30 years after Charlemagne has been crowned Holy Roman Emperor. Which was, I think, more of a sort of case of um, optimism than fact. Yes. <laughs> Neither Holy nor Roman nor an Emperor, yes, as right, the Byzantines would say. Yes. So Theophilus is the Emperor. He is the He's God's important. regent on earth. Right. Okay. And he's is he the head of the church? No, there's the patriarch who's the head of the right. church. Okay. But you can also get conflict between emperor and patriarch over who's the most important. Right. The basic fact for the bride show is that Theophilus is big news. Yeah. Um, And he has a selection of uh, women who have been gathered for him to choose a bride from, which is, um, I mean, where to even begin with that little bit of social uh, structure. But um, so he's walking down the line at the bride show and he has a golden apple. And is he is he interviewing them? Is he uh, or is he just checking them out? Or Who knows? Who knows? You know, know, does he have three questions on a card? Well, this you see, this is the really great thing about it. And kind of, it's the question I'd be asking you, Frank, which mm. is about the story that you're telling about Byzantium. Sure. Because actually what we have is this brilliant story of the bride show, which is told in the Byzantine histories. And they don't give us all of right. this fleshing out. They just say, well, it's a bride show. He's got a golden apple. He walks down the line. He says to Cassia, he comes up with this line of verse. She slaps back with another line of verse and he walks yeah. on to the next person. And then 
everything else around that is kind of well how do you interpret sure. and make sense of that well which is the nature of studying kind of like pre-modern history right would you use the word medieval yeah i would yeah so medieval history but so 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 you refer to it there so the spark for the story uh, that why we know about cassiani or cassian mm. um is this thing where he says something to her and she kind of quips back at him. Mm. Do you know exactly what she, he said and what she said? Yeah, apparently he said, through a woman, the baser. And she said, through a woman, the better. And his reference right. is to Eve and hers is to Mary. Okay, she's hit him back with a good one-liner, which also sort of puts him down. Yeah, but here again, you see, you've got that really interesting... How do you interpret that? Because sure. the I had a quick look in the Byzantine sources that tell the story Mm -hmm. and they say she replied shyly so she's not quipping back according to the historian she's sort of sure but his 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 original comment uh from the woman the base of referring to eve in the garden of eden and sort of made from adam's rib and all that kind of business and then being tempted by the apple tempted by the apple and sort of being the weaker sex essentially um and her response it's this was my interpretation of Mm. it was that she was kind of like excuse you do you know what i mean and just sort of like quips him back again yeah and i seem to remember reading somewhere and i might have just made this up but never mind um it's art um (laughs) because the next part of her story is that she becomes a nun Mm. and i seem to remember reading that she was sort of condemned to be a nun in response for having made this quip is do we know if this is true yeah i don't think we know that i think that's again part of the story that grows up around it so so, you know she makes this quip then what do you have and and again the historian that says she says it shyly also says that she sort of gave away the empire and had to go off and become a nun right okay so so perhaps he was still into her despite this quip um which we'll get into this later Mm. in but that is an angle that i've taken with the song that i've written is that there is still some ongoing thing between theophilus and cassiani and there is this sort of sequel to it that is told that you tell in in the song isn't there about how she's writing her hymns in the nunnery and he comes on a visit and she hides herself away lest she's tempted by him yeah so this which all of which suggests that this is there's more to this i feel like maybe it wasn't the first time he ever saw her and it certainly wasn't the last there's a hint in the record here of some Mm. genuine kind of romantic Mm. connection but it's also he's also being a bore do you know what i mean (laughs) in in the middle of all this it's like it's like one of those guys that goes up to a girl and tries to sort of attract her attention by putting her down um, and she's not taking that well. Mm, mm. But so, so, so to continue the story, so she, we, we next hear of her in the records as she is, as she is a nun, um, and mm. she's not just a nun; she's an, ab- an abbess. Yes, right. And, and where is that? It's at, at, in a convent in Constantinople. And again, okay. like with so much of her story, we don't know which one. And how, how many were, are, there, are there to choose from? Do we know? Oh, like thousands. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just like it was either Oxford yes, or Cambridge. No, or no. There's yeah. like almost a nunnery or a monastery on every street corner in Constantinople. So it's an extremely religious city. Yes. Right. So she's, she's an abbess and this is the part of the reason I think why we still know who she is today is that as an abbess she is also creative. She's a writer. Mm. So she writes music. Yes. And, and she writes hymns. Yeah. And she writes poetry and she writes these gnomic verses, these little one-liners. Right, okay. As well, which, which, think... which is not unlike what she said to the Emperor well, in the first place. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's a she's she's a wit, <laughs> as it were. Well, she's a pretty clever lady. Yeah, right. Really. So and and how much of what she wrote survives today? Well, it, really difficult to answer. So you're asking me all these questions and every time I say, oh, I don't, don't really know that. And I really apologise because that's really academic. Sure, sure, Confusing sure. To, no, to no, commit. no, this is great. This is real but history. we have a little, th- you know, I've got here on the table a little thin book which suggests that a few thousand lines survive. Right. 
may well have written a lot more. There's sure. also every possibility that other stuff got her name put on it. Sure. A few thousand lines would nevertheless be remarkable for anyone yeah. from that period of history. There is enough that her name has survived. Well, quite. And that's and, what's really and, and is she, how unusual or unique is she is in being a woman whose writing mm. has survived? There are two known from Byzantium. There's her and there's a woman called Anna Komnena, Anna Komneni, who is the daughter of an emperor and the sister of an emperor and she wrote a history and they're the only two named women authors that we have from Byzantium. So of an entire civilization that lasted for a thousand years we've got two. Yeah we have. Right okay (laughs) which is I mean I don't really need to pass comment on that it it speaks for itself. So um, we have this uh, we have hymns and and there's there's music as well involved in this. Yes. Um, Some of which is still extant in the Orthodox Church. Yes so her great hymn and again it's the hymn that you reference in the song. Sure is the one that's always sung still on Tuesday of Holy Week. Right, which is uh, Holy Week before, the week before Easter. Easter. Yeah. yeah, so she's got the Tuesday slot. Yeah, she's got the Tuesday slot, and that's quite an important slot to have. So it's, it's all about yeah. getting ready for Easter, and it's very much on the theme of repentance and preparation sure. and stuff like yeah. that. I think I'm right in saying, and I can actually check because we've got the lyrics here somewhere, there is this story that you mentioned earlier that at some point the emperor returns to visit mm. her in her convent. Mm. Um, and she hides, as you were saying, because she doesn't want to tempt herself with lust for old Theo. Um, uh, and and, uh, and I, I sort of, I like the idea, and again, this is possibly interpretation on my, my side, I see a connection between that story and the lyrics to her hymn, mm. um, you know, because it, her lyrics to her hymn are very much about, you know, sin and purging yourself and, and all this kind of thing. Um, and, and she mentions the story of Eve hiding in paradise from God when God shows up and sees that the apple has been eaten. Mm. Um, so I like that idea. She's sort of hiding away. Yeah. You see, the whole of this thing to me is, and I'm going to rant here, so you can Sure, please, please do. I know this is your podcast. You can cut no, no, no. it when but it comes the, but, to but, it. But part, part of what I love about what, what we're trying to do with this podcast is get real historians in to show up what a complete <laughs> amateur that I am. Well, it's not, no, it's not to do that. It's just... <laughs> The way I see this as history is as a series of stories Mm. that are told by different people who are all trying to make different points. So you've got your bloke, the Byzantine bloke who's telling his story, and he says, you know, she comes back with this one-liner, shyly. Right. And he would do that because actually women in Byzantium are not supposed to be feisty or anything like that, so that puts her in her place. And then he says, and she throws away the empire, silly bitch, sort of understood sort of thing. So that's one story. And then you have what? people have done with that story sure and that the turning you know so some people have turned it into this continued love for theophilus and i think john judas norwich does that a little bit in right. his book yeah you know so that it's this this love story and it's the woman who's still hankering after the man despite everything so being a nun is second best and and all sure. that sort of thing and then you have again from the orthodox perspective they turn that around and instead you know she's she's a holy respectable virgin sure you know and she's happy in her in her, in her vocation and everything mm-hmm. like that so that's a different story yeah and then you've got sort of modern historians who come back and they say well it's a perch reply sure you know, so that's a different sort of cassia yeah, yeah. again and we're all i think making cassia in our own images sure well it's layers of historiography it is and it's, it. it's yeah. sort of story piled on story and taking little yeah. bits and that's what i really liked about your song because it does take little different bits of the story and it weaves them into 
a different version of yeah, the story. Yeah, well, this which was my intention, and thank yeah. you very much. So, I mean, talking about um, the song more directly, um, the so what I did was um, I, I stumbled across Cassiani. I was attempting to sort of write about women from different cultures from my own and different mm. po- points in history rather than just writing endlessly about English and American people, um, and came across this story. And uh, reading through the lyrics of the hymn, which we have here, and I can read mm. out some of because I, I, I looked it up, um, you know, when I discovered there's a piece of music that still exists, which she, as far as we know, she wrote both the words and the music to yeah. that is still sung actively in uh, the Orthodox Church. So the words say, The woman who had fallen to many sins recognises thy Godhead, O Lord. She takes upon herself the duty of a myrrh-bearer and makes ready the myrrh of mourning before thy entombment. Myrrh, incidentally, so that's a funeral thing. Yes. There. So making herself the myrrh-bearer is, I mean, what's she doing there? Well, it's, it's a reference to the women who come to Christ's tomb after right. the crucifixion okay. and looking to anoint his body with myrrh. Yes. And they're the women to whom the resurrected Christ presents himself. Is that Mary Magdalene? Mary Magdalene, yes. yes. There we go. And she is the woman fallen into many sins. So she is this first person yes. of the hymn. And the hymn is about Mary Magdalene in the first instance, though you can, as you do, yeah, choose so, to interpret right. it as more personal. Well, so this is the thing. My, my interpretation, so so the hymn continues, says, you know, receive the sources of my tears, O thou who dost gather into clouds the water of the sea, thine ineffable condescension, had to get that into my song, <laughs> thine ineffable condescension deign to bend down thyself to me into the lamentations of my heart, O thou who did spread out the heavens. Uh, I will fervently embrace thy sacred feet and wipe them again with the tresses of the hair of my head, thy feet at whose sound Eve hid herself for fear when she heard thee walking in paradise in the cool of the day. You know, one of the things that sort of I feel and part of my leaping off point for writing in the song is that there reaches a point in this where, and I know there's a cultural difference between me and, and, and Byzantine Orthodox Christianity, but it's a bit like she protests too much. Do you know, it's, it's self-abasing. She's kneeling down, she's cleaning his feet with her hair and all this kind of business. And it just feels a bit to me like, mm. really? Mm. Do you know what I mean? I feel like she's almost being a little bit sarcastic. Yeah. Well, I kind of wonder as well whether the story about Theophilus coming to find her yeah. afterwards, you know, which came first, the hymn or the story? Did the story sure. come because of, you know, somebody reading the hymn and thinking, well, hang on a sec, where's all that coming from? Yeah, yeah, sure. Or did she write the hymn because rumour had gone around that Theophilus had showed up at the convent yes. and she was like, no, 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 it, no. It wasn't like that. Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah, this is, yeah. But so, and then it, it finishes off with, oh, oh my saviour and soul saver, who can trace out the multitude of my sins and the, the abysses of thy judgment? Do not disregard me, thy servant, although his mercy is boundless. So, you know, it's, it's, it is prima facie, so it's a religious uh, piece of music. It's a beautiful piece of writing. So now moving slightly on to talk about music, because uh, it's a hymn, it's a piece Mm. of music. And uh, if one goes on to thatthereyoutube.com, you can find videos of people singing this and congregations even singing this. And it's it's an a cappella piece. It's a solo piece. Yes. Um, And it uses Byzantine modes. But um, Matt Nazir is the guy who plays piano in my band and who's an incredibly well-trained musician. And I sort of, he was telling me about modes and all this kind of thing. Uh, And I started sort of playing around with the guitar. And if you don't mind, I'm going to demonstrate some of the things I'm talking about. Do that thing. So most Western music sort of um, uh, generally operates on the major scale. So you, you, you... Kind of thing, and um, just uh, and that sounds very normal to the Western ear. Now the modes are where you kind of uh, you shift some of those around, and you end up with um, in in the hymn of Cassiana. There's there's these two melodic runs next to each other that shift from what to my Western ears is a major to a minor, and it's very odd. So it goes, and then it goes. 
and uh, and it, I would describe that as a key change. But I think that within, within Orthodox and Byzantine culture, that would be regarded as sort of a silly thing to say. <laughs> you can hear that, and that is so typical, isn't it, of what you think of in your head as Byzantine music, and you sure. can pick it up as well in in somebody like John Taverner and, yeah, and, and him fe- for Athena. Yeah, yeah, it feels it's it is from our Western viewpoint. It's, it's it feels Eastern. Yeah, uh, you know, um, and uh, I mean we we possibly now straying into a minefield of sort of Western perceptions of the East throughout history, which we can get into uh, on the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're going to do a series of Byzantine podcasts. Yes. But so, uh, yeah, it certainly it has that what I would call an Eastern flavour, mm. a Middle Eastern flavour. Well, um, just a very Orthodox in terms of Orthodox yeah. music flavour. And uh, Byzantine churches, or let's say Orthodox churches, are a magical place. They're sort of very incense-filled and sort of dark and yeah. very ornate and heavily decorated, uh, in my experience. I mean... Uh, Icons, lots of icons. Lots of icons, yeah. Tell us about icons. 20 (laughs) seconds, go. 20 seconds, go, okay. Well, we've got icons coming up for Cassiani as well. So icons are wooden panel paintings of holy figures. They're used in orthodoxy because people will venerate the holy through them. So you will address your prayers to the icon with the belief that the prayer will, as it were, go through the icon and to the holy person. Right. And in Byzantium, there was an enormous amount of tension around these things because there's the risk that you worship the icon. That the is to say, image, the which, graven image. Yeah, yeah, which is bad news for uh, followers of the Ten Commandments. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's really important that the idea is not that you are worshipping the icon, but you're worshipping the person behind the picture. Sure. Uh, it, well, it's, it's fascinating to learn about. And Cassiano, as, as it can't sort of be stressed enough, is a religious figure. She's a nun, yeah. you know, uh, and she's writing these hymns which are religious pieces of music. So to bring things back around again to my take on the whole thing. So my, my essentially, as I think, as I hope that you've noticed. <laughs> so the idea was sort of taking these words, which are um, about Mary Magdalene, but I sort of, you know, are they mm. actually, is she telling, secretly telling us a story yeah, about herself? Yeah. Um, and then, so what I did with the words to my song was try and take that same kind of language and structure mm. and tell a slightly different story, which is that she told him to go... Yeah, screw to himself lost. to get lost at the bride show, uh, and then she ends up being uh, being a nun, being an abbess. And when he comes back for another kind of sniff around, mm. she hides, but she's not hiding because she's like scared of him or anything mm. particularly. She's just kind of sick of his bullshit. Yeah, which I thought was kind of a, yeah. I like that take. I, I like that very much. Yeah. yeah, you know, two fingers to Theophilus. Yeah, well, exactly, screw Theophilus. Yeah, um, and his, or not as the case or, or may not, be. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. So, And then we don't know anything about the end of her life. She fades from the historical record. Yes. The only mention of her in the Byzantine histories is the bride show's sure. story. And then there's the hymns. And then there's the story the, that may or may not get attached about the sure. history. And then that's it. And there, well, and there's a, there's a body of sort of myth, I suppose, that's grown up then, should we say, which, which is detached from the original sources. Yes. Yeah. Which is, it's, it's like Robin Hood. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think I'm right in saying she was, did you ever watch Vikings? I didn't watch Vikings. No, was she in Vikings? She was in Vikings, apparently. Oh yeah, Series 5 of Vikings. Series 5 of Vikings. I'm let's Pause this podcast. I'm going to go and watch Series 5 of Vikings. Yeah. My goodness. Wow, I've been beaten to it. <laughs> by Vikings. Of by Vikings. Yeah. By, by a TV show yeah, about Vikings. Yes. How embarrassing is that? Yeah. Oh, so I'd love to see what they made of her. And as we mentioned earlier, I mean, it's kind of remarkable that she's, she's in the historical mm. record in the first place. There must have been something remarkable about her. Definitely, because the way that writing survive is that it's a culture of handwritten stuff. Yeah. So you have to copy it. So if you're going to copy it, you must value it. One of the things I love about Byzantine history, which 
comes up time and again in their, in their histories is that they love a good story. So right. they'll repeat a good story. Sure. So there's a Which brilliant one. It's quite a Greek thing. I mean, if we're talking yeah. about sort of the, the Iliad and the Odyssey. Yeah, just keep history. those yeah. good stories. Okay. So, so for example, okay, in the 6th century, the great emperor is Justinian and he's, he's yeah. you know, he goes out, he fights people, he builds churches. There's a whole load of wonderful things he does and, you know, great political actions that he does. And law codes. Yeah, law yes. codes, yeah. yeah. The one story that is repeated time and time and time again in all the chronicles about Byzantine history by the Byzantines themselves is the story of Andrew and his amazing blind performing dog. <laughs> okay? Amazing. And, and yeah. you know, that's the sort of thing that the Byzantines sure. love. And that's why I think you've got the bride show, because this is such a good story. It How is, could yeah. you not tell that story? Yeah, yeah, sure. And indeed keep telling it down down the ages, which yeah, is, I mean, which yeah. I can sympathise with, yeah, because here is, we are. Yeah, we are telling we're telling the stories. And I think this is what, I think the Byzantines would have loved this. You know, here I, you've got, I, I, I we're telling so. the story again. I hope again. so. Uh, speaking of writing that survived, obviously we've talked about the hymn, but she, that's not the only thing that survived. Um, and Nomic verses, I think you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Do, do you have some Cassiani or some Cassia that you could share with? Well, her nomic verses are, are the sort of things that, you know, just a, a little pithy saying, so a bit like, as we said earlier, her response to Theophilus. Yeah. I think my favourite one is where she goes, I hate the one who conforms to all ways. Amazing. Which is brilliant. She's great on, I hate this, I hate that, yeah. I hate the other. Well, And what... she's got a whole load on stupidity. I hate the stupid person. The stupid person is always inclined to overdo. It is better if the stupid person is never born. Right. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's a Knowledge bit... in a stupid person is further stupidity. Knowledge in a stupid person is a bell on a pig's nose. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's funny enough, um, I, you are now reminding me that one, there is one of those which I came across, which is I managed to crowbar into the song, you which did. is uh, I, I hate silence when it is time to speak. Yes. But I mean, which which sounds like the sort of like the the clarion call of a protest movement, mm. almost. It makes me think of like Vaclav Havel or someone like that, you know. Um, uh, but so, but she was also very anti stupidity. Didn't suffer fool gla- fools gladly. Yeah, and and there's a whole list of of what she hates. You know, I hate the one who rashly slanders friends. I hate the adulterer when he judges fornication. So it's a whole load of things that you kind of think, yeah, what she can't cope, you know, what she doesn't like is bullshit. Yeah, sure. She sounds like sort of me before my first coffee of the day. <laughs> I hate this. Yeah, it, but she's a character. Her, her character yeah, comes I mean that's the it. sense you get from the Nomi. So actually, she's forthright. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think. I mean, I think the, so there was some of those were a little bit kind of uh, extreme for modern taste, should we say, <laughs> about the stupid. But you know, she knows what she likes. She knows what she doesn't like. Yeah, and. Actually, that's quite handy because it, again, shows us she is of her time. Of her time, yes. And it's uh, the, the age-old thing of the, the study of history is us visiting them rather than them visiting us. Yeah, and it's us telling their stories for them. Exactly. Which is a thing that I've tried to do with the song. And I think that that's probably the smoothest segue yet uh, to get us into me playing some music. Um, so uh, if it's all right, Liz, I would love to play you my song. I would love you to play it for me. Um, and as I'm sure you already noticed, but just for, for the listeners at home, it both begins and ends in an a cappella fashion in tributes to how the original hymn itself went. I've heard that they call me the woman Who's fallen into many sins They made me bear much to the burial And at the graveside I began to sing Woe to me all of you sinners I'm the lady of a moonless night The darkness to me is my ecstasy 
But for my sins I am far from contrite They drag me away from the library I was cast to the bride show's harsh light Where I told the king I was better than him And thus and Theophilus spy And Theo, he thinks I still love him But I know him and he knows not a thing They call me Cassiani The woman who rejected the king Now the emperor he tore down the icons The images and words thought divine But in the quiet of my cell I redrew them all And the name that I signed with was mine I was scourged with the lash for my impudence My tears were a fountain of brine But I conceded no defeat My groaning heart beats with defiant blue blood Byzantine And Theo, he thinks I still love him But I know him and he knows not a thing Don't disregard me as a servant Know me as the woman who rejected the king But don't dare think me frightened or meek I was sick of his ineffable condescension And I will not kiss those sacred feet I will make his footsteps into music To be heard by both heathen and Greek They will mock his meanderings in paradise at twilight And they'll remember me Cassiani silence when it's time to speak and Theo he thinks I still love him he knows not the multitude of my sins they will sing my song after Byzantium has gone the woman who rejected the king I've heard all the things that they've called me It's just so many arrows and slings Leave the glory to the stepmother and to the son And the woman who rejected the king (sighs) That felt quite good. I heard the miners. I have to be honest, Frank, before your producer rang me, I had no idea that you existed. OK, well, okay? that's completely you know. fine. But I'm glad that I found you. Oh, uh, well, thank and you. I, I really do like the song. I really do like the way that you've retold Cassiani's story. Thank you. And I think it's brilliant that she's being brought out into the open again. Well, I, you know, hopefully um, more people will go away from our discussion today with knowledge and indeed further questions about not only Cassiani but the Byzantine Empire more generally. I mean, I don't want to be too sort of didactic in my purposes here, but it's lovely to tell the story about somebody who uh, doesn't get their story told all that often in public. Yeah, it's giving a voice to someone who has a voice but whose voice is not heard. And I think, you know, you've come to her 
Gosh, it sounds cheesy to say respectfully. Well, that was certainly there was something I thought about a lot. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And as I mentioned earlier, like one of the things I really wanted to dig out of her story was the sense of defiance. As you were saying, the chronicler sort of puts her down. She responds shyly and she gives up the empire and it's all a bit like the weak woman kind of thing. And I just think that's unfair for somebody who's managed to cut through all of the odds against her to survive on the historical record as a writer. You know, she's got to be kind of awesome. She's mm. got to be an incredibly strong figure and I wanted to get that across in the song. Yeah, and I, th- I think it does. I think it does that really well. Well, thank you. As Cassiani might say, I hate the one who conforms to all ways. <laughs> and there we go. So that was the episode of my podcast about my song, The Hymn of Cassiani, and I was joined by the amazing Liz James to discuss Byzantine history and all things related to it, and quite a few that weren't as well, uh, and what a joy it was to have her on the show. Uh, please do subscribe to the podcast and give it a review. It really helps us get the word out about it. If you'd like to, you can pre-order my album, No Man's Land. It's out in August this year. Uh, you can download the song itself or stream it in wherever it is that you get your music. On the next episode of the podcast, we will be talking about the wife of the famous poet and engraver William Blake, and her name was Catherine Blake. I'd like to thank my producer, Hayley Clark, the executive producer, Peggy Sutton, and the additional producers, Paul Smith, Steve Ackerman, Josh Gibbs, and Charlie Kaplow. Tales from No Man's Land is produced by me, Frank Turner, Extra Mile Recordings, and something else. <laughs> <laughs>